All right, everybody, thank you for jumping on with me for our Your Story podcast. I got my good buddy who's rising through the ranks, Michael Barlatano, who's absolutely killing it. But, you know, on a podcast like this, I am I just love listening to the things that have shaped and molded people to turn them to the, you know, men and women that they are today. And everyone has a story. Today, we're going to hear Mike's story. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm actually great, man. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for asking. Um, I I always say this, and I, you know, I love these because I learn a lot about people in in a very short period of time. You know, you know, growing up, you 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 learn a, you 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 shape a lot of your characteristics as an adult, and some of those things like obviously people can change and move and adapt. But there's things, there's events that take place in our lives, Mike, that absolutely set the tone for who we are. And uh, that's what I love the most about this podcast. So without further ado, my man, if you could kind of walk us down the path and help us learn you about some of the things that made you are the made you the man you are today, I'd be very appreciative. Sure. Th- and thanks for having me on. You know, um, I, I, I kind of love this, but, you know, I am four years old. I was born September 5th, 1982 in uh, Nutley, New Jersey. So pretty close to you. Yes, sir. Um, you know, had a great family life growing up. Um, you know, I'm an Italian. I'm, I'm of Italian heritage. So we got that big Italian family. We were all really tight. Um, nice. You know, so I had a really, really good childhood. You know, I uh, nothing I can really complain about. You know, I thought I was, I was brought up really well with good values, you know, and stuff like that. You know, my dad was an electrician um, and then became a New York police officer. My mother um, was a housewife for most of her life and then became a New York police officer as well later in life. You know, so I didn't, you know, I I, I just knew what my family, we were a hardworking, you know, blue collar family, you know, and without... Without knowing my family's finances, I always thought like we were rich. <laughs> Turns out we really weren't. You know, my family were just very good at making sure me and my sister had everything we needed. You know, but I would say starting in as a kid with sports, you know, the biggest thing with me is competitiveness. <laughs> you know, I had to win everything. <laughs> I had to win every race. I had to get the highest score on every test. You know, that was just part of my my DNA, you know, and that's what really drove me. So when I graduate, you know, in high school, I played, you know, three sports, varsity sports, always competitive, you know, loved winning championships, stuff like that. But then it was time to go to college. Right. And I ended up getting into a lot of good schools. Uh, My top pick was actually Notre Dame and um, I got in, but we couldn't afford for me to go there. Right. So that was like my first like battle with like real adversity there. So I ended up going to the University of Richmond with that, which at the end of the day was the best decision I made. You know, I know, you know, it probably killed my parents financially, the part they had to pay. But when I walked on that campus, I said, I need to make everything. I I need to take advantage of this opportunity. Mm. I can't screw this up. You know, my family's spending a lot for me to go here and I need to make the best of it. And I got an amazing education socially. I had amazing friends. I was a member of fraternity and, you know, I played a lot of recreational sports while I was there. But again, the biggest thing was competition for me. You know, I walked in there with some of the smartest kids in the country, 
And I didn't, at that point, I didn't know how smart I was, right? Huh. And I remember my first semester getting a 3.4 GPA. And I thought that was good <laughs> until I learned it was, wasn't that good. Um, and every semester after that, my GPA went up and I ended up graduating with a 3.82. Wow. Uh, you know, so cum laude. <laughs> and uh, you, you, remember it, the, you remember the title. Yeah. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I remember all of it. You know? I wasn't quite so, summa. You know, I was just magnet. Just. so but again it was competition that drove me and then when it was time to look at a career i didn't really i knew i wanted to be in the business world but i didn't really know what i wanted to do so luckily i got some internships you know ended up working for morgan stanley in new york city and i was like back office support right so these traders would make trades and we just cleaned everything what up what made you go into and, what made you go into that industry and why starters why starters back office support money <laughs> <laughs> i thought it lended to my personality you know i've always been very good with math and logic and you know i'm a very quick thinker and you know math is always my strong point and i i saw what people were making I said, I saw, you know, what the people I gravitated toward were these kind of people. So my first foot in the door was this back office support internship in 2002 or three. And I said, I don't want to be this guy who's cleaning up these trades. I want to make these trades, mm. right? I want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school and just started doing everything I could to prepare myself for that. And I ended up getting some incredible job offers. Um, you know, some that I, I got was I got um, Goldman Sachs, um, Eshi Cow, which is a big um, investment firm. Um, it was Wachovi at the time, mm -hmm. uh, if you remember them, investment banking. Um, I got an offer from Credit Suisse, and I ended up taking the offer for Citigroup, which for me was the best fit for me. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about like the 80s and 90s with Solomon Brothers, a lot of books written about them, you know, some great books like long-term capital management, when genius failed, all those. And I really looked, I looked at them as the gold standard. So I went in there and I'm with literally everyone I'm working with is either from Harvard, Yale or Princeton. Hmm. I'm like the only kid, maybe me and one other kid are non-Ivy. So again, that com competitive streak kicked in. I ended up getting a 99 on my series seven. You know, I got five other series license and now it's time to pick what desk you want to be, on. <laughs> you know, like what products and stuff. And the funny part is there were sales and there was trading and I wanted nothing to do with sales, mm -hmm. which is hysterical for where I am now. Right. Like nothing. I want to trade. I want my book of business. And I went in there and I, I knew I, I wanted to be on the mortgage desk because that was the hot desk. Everyone loved it. And I had a really good mentor, the woman who hired me, Susan Glendon who said, Mike, you need to go here. It's this new thing called credit derivatives and they're exploding. I went and talked to everyone on that desk. Everyone was this mathematical genius. Like I felt dumb, right? And I'm like, I don't wanna go here. And she's like, Mike, this is your ticket. So I ended up, you know, was working 80, 90 hours a week uh, doing all the grunt work. I, got, I picked up a lot of lunch, a lot of coffee, you know, <laughs> got screamed at a lot. And then the, best thing that ever happened to me happened and my entire group that I was working with left to go to Barclays hmm. and it left me and three other people 
Um, I ended up becoming the lead trader on a product I knew nothing about six months after starting at this firm in a product that I didn't understand the math <laughs> of. But trading, you know, there's buyers and sellers. There's market momentum. You can you make the market. And I really took ownership of that. And I ended up getting promoted earlier than everybody else, ended up running, I think it was a $3 trillion portfolio all by myself. And um, it really led to a lot of things. You know, at 22 years old, I made a $600,000 paycheck. You were 22 years old? It was crazy. Maybe 23, but yeah, it was my first year. Wow. Second year. And then um, I ended up getting an offer from from UBS to come run their desk. And that made me a seven-figure earner. Hmm. You know, living in New York City, living it up. But... What what we did was credit derivatives. And if you remember 2008, 2009, that's what blew up the world, mm-hmm. right? Created created um, just a mess. Now, it wasn't the credit derivatives I was doing. There were mortgage derivatives, but I was doing like, like um, investment-grade debt derivatives. Everything started to change, you know? And the government came in, you know, you remember Dodd-Frank, oh, yeah. all these regulations. Oh, yeah. And what I did got severely limited, right? So I ended up leaving and I kind of retired for a couple of years huh. at like 26 years old. And it was, so my, one of my big passions and things I love to do is I love to fish, you know, absolutely favorite thing. Put me on the water, put a rod in my hand. Huh. So I had, I had bought a beach house in Manasquan, New Jersey on the water. And I was fishing a lot. And at that point, the price of gas was like $6, $6 a gallon. And my boat, my, my boat held 240 gallons of gas. Mm. So I said, I need to, I need to find a way to do this better. So I went and got my captain's license and I started a fishing company really just to like write stuff off. So mm. I hope the IRS is not listening to this, mm. but you know, just to write stuff off. And I did that for a couple of years and it was awesome. You know, I got to fish every day. Um, it's what I love to do. And then, um, then the worst thing, um, one of the worst things happened, uh, hurricane Sandy, mm. it, um, destroyed my house and I ended up losing close to a million dollars on the whole thing. Wow. So I had to go back to work. <laughs> so at first I actually was, thought I might, might want to be a financial analyst or financial advisor started doing that because I had all my licenses and everything. And that's when I first got licensed in insurance. And I, I, I didn't like cold calling, right? That's, that's what I didn't like funny enough. So I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. So then I'm like, what can I do now? And then um, I, I met a girl who I was engaged to, obviously we're not together anymore, but she, um, her family had a food truck. So I ended up going to culinary school and buying a food truck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which led to a couple of restaurants in Philly. But I love to cook it. I hate that business. So <laughs> when that relationship didn't work out, I kind of walked away. And um, during that time period, I had some bad things happen to me. Um, I had a brother named Christian. And he wasn't actually my brother. He was my cousin. But we lived together our entire lives. Um, so I always called him my brother. And he tragically passed away at 35 years old. Wow. And it, it, it put me in a bad spot mentally for a while. 
but also, you know, there was a lot of financial things that came out of that. And, you know, I was the, you know, I was taking care of all that. So, you know, me and you have talked about this. I wanted my last career. You know, I, I had some fun. I did what I did. I was kind of broke at that point, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, um, what, what can I do that I love? And I, I wanted to be involved in insurance, life insurance, because I knew the power of it. And I didn't want to be a salesperson. I actually wanted to go on like the underwriting side of things, the, you know, that, that, that kind of side. But I got in the door at a company and I realized pretty quickly that it was straight sales. So I'm like, all right, I got licensed again. I did all this. I got to try it. And from day one, I started just making tons of money. And I realized, because I looked at it as I don't, I don't want to sell you anything because I, 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 I honestly hate selling things funny enough. <laughs> I hate asking for favors and stuff. And I just looked at it as an educational point of view. You know, the people, our clients were very blue collar clients. There were people like me growing up. And I looked at it and said, you have no idea what would happen if your husband or your wife or whatever is in a car accident and dies tomorrow. Um, but I kind of did know that. Right. So I looked at it very much as an educational opportunity. And I realized really quickly that I was helping a lot of people. And I will never forget sitting at my desk six months. So I, st so I started in like April, 2018. And one of my, it was like December, it was like two weeks before Christmas. And I get a call from one of my first clients and I almost didn't pick up the phone. Cause I'm like, they're going to cancel. Cause they can't afford huh. it around Christmas. And I picked it up, obviously, and the woman's crying. I'm like, what's what's going on? And I'll never forget, her name was Pam. Her husband was Bob. And she was like, Bob died in a car accident on 295 two nights ago. And I start crying. <laughs> and all she could do was say thank you to me over and over and over again. Wow. She's like, if you, we, this wasn't even on our radar. She's like, if you didn't come to my house and she's like, if you didn't insist on coming to my house, cause she didn't want me to come to her house at first and sit down with me, spend a couple hours, explain everything to me. And as she, she goes, you know, you talked about my husband driving 20 minutes to work every day. And you asked me what road it was. And I you said two ninety five, And I was like, okay, well, you should get this accidental policy on top of this. It's a very cheap rider and God forbid something happens. And since your husband drives more, he's at a higher risk. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Wow. And all she could say was thank you while she was crying. She's like, you're saving me and my, my daughter's lives, blah, blah, blah. And so from that day forward, that changed everything for me here. And I just kept getting better and better at what I was doing, kept building a team. And, you know, and I met Rob and yourself. And here I am now. That's amazing, man. Um... It's amazing what we do for a living, you know, the impact that we have on families and then our, the ability to help our own family in the process. So it's, 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 it's a great industry. It's set up with enormous wins on just about every side, which is very difficult to do in most businesses. Um, so that's fantastic. And, you know, you alluded to, you know, finding family first life, um, when you think about family first life, obviously you were working somewhere else. 
What were some of the things that drew you here? Why Family First Life for you and Janine? For me, it actually goes back to helping that one woman and her husband. So, because over the next four years, I helped a lot of people, but there was a lot of people I couldn't help, right? Either I didn't have what they needed or they were declined because of some medical issue, right? And that was the problem working at a captive company with one set of policies. And when I saw the opportunity from yourself and Rob, and I saw what we could do, you know, being in, I think I'm now in 41 states and, you know, with all the carriers and just seeing the type of people, seeing all the types of people we can cover, you know, whether it's someone who's has HIV, whether it's someone who's extremely overweight, um, whatever it is, you know, I just, I just saw a client like two weeks ago who was very heavy at one point of her life and actually confined to a wheelchair. And she's like, don't waste your time on me. I can't, you know, one will insure me. And, you know, she had um, weight loss surgery. She lost a ton of weight. She's very active now, but all that stuff kept stopping, you know, wasn't allowing her to get life insurance. And, you know, something me and you do all the time, looking at underwriting guides, we figured out the right provider. We got her approved that day with a level whole life policy. And she was so ecstatic. She literally jumped in her car at the end of the call, drove to her friend's house with me on the phone, sat at her friend's kitchen table, and we got her a policy too. Hmm. And that's that's something I couldn't have done before. You know, and I, I, you know, forget the products, forget the states, everything like that. The culture here is absolutely amazing. You know, and especially when you're bringing more people on, they're going to look for culture first, right? They're buying me. They're buying you. They're not, you know, they're, 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 they're buying us. Right. And the second I walked in the door, everyone is welcoming, but it's welcoming and being helpful. Right. No one is vague about things. People tell you exactly what they're doing. You know, they give you honest advice. Whereas before I found that people always talk in generalities, said the cliches, but never told you exactly why they're successful. Mm. Right here. Everyone's so willing to do that. And the new, like, I used to bring members on my team and they would have a hard time getting started because of people were very close. They only knew what I could teach them and this and that. And, and now it's like, I find my new people are exploding so much faster because they have so many people giving them good advice. So I would say the culture is definitely one of the big things for me. It's massive dude. And especially in an industry where, you know, you can recruit, anybody and you you're a recruiting machine i mean the more people you bring on the more you want a system and a village that can help raise the people because you can't raise everyone all by yourself and that's not even the design um it's the reason why agencies and you know businesses get so massive here is because i can't raise i'm not gonna raise everyone by myself you know i need a village and a system that can back and support that so that's fantastic and when you think about your growth for 2023 and, 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 and what your people are seeing um, now that they have all kinds of access to everything you just mentioned, what do you see for 2023 growth? I think for my, the, like the team I brought in, you're going to see growth just on 
how much more they're able to do here. But I also, when I log into my Zoom and I'm talking to everyone, I see smiles. You know, before it used to be, okay, I got to make all these calls. Okay, I'm going to sit here for six hours and not move and make calls. And now it's like people are happy, right? They're, they have a lot of flexibility. They're making a ton of money. Um, they're doing it on the phone. You know, one of our biggest problems was getting people on Zoom. You know, the no-show rate was hyster hysterically high. You can't no-show me when I have you on the phone. You're there, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I didn't believe it before I did it myself. <laughs> you know, you, from ring ring to submit application can be 30 minutes, <laughs> right? 40 minutes if you do it right. And it's just, I think the the people... Like my my agents are just happier, and what that happiness does is it has people gravitate toward them, right? They're posting on social media, they're talking about all their successes, how they get paid the next day, how they got this person approved, that yada yada yada, and people are gravitating toward them. So as much as like I want people to gravitate toward me, I want them to gravitate toward my people too. I came from a culture where it was forced recruiting where you were paying $500 a week, you know, you were calling resumes for three hours every morning and you were forced to do it because if you didn't, you would lose your bonus. You know, the culture here is make sure you're good first, you know, make sure you're good, make sure you're successful and happy and then build a team. And that's where at the stage we're at now, people have a couple uh, months under their belt. They're making good money. And now they want to build a team. And the best part is I was, I was talking to someone literally on Sunday about this. He goes, how much do you, do you spend on recruiting? And I had two other builders with me and they just go like this. He goes, what? <laughs> See, I'm spending $350 a week. And, you know, and, I, and I'll be honest, when I first came in, I dropped a lot of money on these ad campaigns and I've scaled them back greatly because we're able to grow right now very organically, right. you know, with the, with the people we have and they just keep bringing more people into the business. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's not because they're forced to or told they have to, right. it's because they want to. And that's the, that's the key difference. Amazing. And that's where we're going to get our growth for sure. Yeah. And it's growing, you know, it's growing, it's growing fast, it, you know, fresh off convention, new year. Um, and we're just getting started, my guys. So listen, I thank you for sharing your story. Um, I love listening to it. Um, that all these things help me as I try to help people. So appreciate you, Mike, for sharing. You are the man, brother. Absolutely. Your story signing off. Love you guys. God bless. Keep listening. Take care. Yeah.